Do you really know what you believe? The beliefs you hold in your heart, they shape the options you consider in life. All the choices we make, the topics we choose to look at, they all are products of the beliefs that we hold deep within our hearts. Now, our culture is filled with spiritual warfare, and we are locked ourselves in a culture war of beliefs. And in this episode, we are going to examine some destructive forces and ideologies, such as a particular secret society whose name I will not give just yet because I want us to have our breath held just a little bit before we get there. So we're going to be talking about that, and we're going to be also taking an examination of Mark chapter 9. I got an interesting question presented to me from someone who listens with the program, and we're going to be looking that at our final segment. But before we go any further, thank you for joining us. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and this is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene, and there are two with me here in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And today, we are going to be jumping into some secret society stuff. We're going to be diving into Mark chapter 9. But before we get there, we've got to have a quick discussion about some unholy things going on in our world. You know, we've got to have some time to lighten up in society. And evidently, it has come to my attention that everything is cake. Our world is obsessed <laughs> with cake. You thought that was toilet paper? Uh-uh. No, that is cake. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's cake. Um, you thought that was a plant? No, that's cake too. You thought that was soap? No, actually, it's cake. You're reaching over to grab yourself some shampoo? No, you're not getting any shampoo or lotion from that one because that too is cake. And reach next to you. Yeah, that hand is cake. That mouse, <laughs> cake. The cup, cake. The bottles, the cups, they're all cake. It is all cake. Now, you might look at this and say, why in the world is this crazy phenomenon relevant to the life of the church? Well, as it actually turns out, this is something which plays a major factor in the biblical narrative. You see, the real reason why Judas decided to betray Jesus was that Judas found out that Jesus' body was merely bread and wine instead of an elaborate cake. And of course, all jokes aside, there actually are a lot of people who walk away from their faith because Jesus is who Jesus actually is, not who they want Jesus to be. So I'll just throw this over there. Y'all can share in on that. I don't know what your thoughts are on everything being cake, cake. but yeah. No, it's, it's some people are really good at making those, but yeah, no, life is definitely not a piece of cake. I, you know, I think uh, as I ponder on this a little bit, I, I think there's an element here that says not only is Jesus not what they want Jesus to be, but th- that we're called to be Christ-like. So it's 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 more like there there is an element here that says, you know, something is has got to be what it appears to be on the outside and on the inside is not not the same and so there is an element here that i think you're 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 right Dylan. yeah we we have this fascination in our culture between the outside versus the inside and this is something people have long had and there's there's actually a healthy discussion to have about you know who we are on the inside versus on the outside but the whole deal with the cake thing really takes us to a whole new level and yeah it's just a fascinating thing so our final ruling, our micellar hold, are these holy or unholy? Uh, <laughs> I buy that they're unholy. Unholy? Uh, I, I, won't, I won't make a, I don't know. What do they call that that goes on the outside of those cakes? The fondant? Fond- oh, no, fondant is definely unholy. That is some nasty yeah, stuff. Yeah. I will, I'll make a judgment call on that one. It is but. edible, but I don't know if it's taste. <laughs> no, it's I'm going to say it's mean all it bad. It's good. But, it's all bad. Yeah, yeah it, but it's it, all bad. I, you know, the, the, something being one thing and actually uh, having the appearance of one thing and being something else, I think there is an element of, of 
fake and manipulation going on there. Unholy. Sure. Okay. All right. Well, next up in our discussion today, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about some break-ins, you know. There was a bear that broke into a house by tearing down somebody's window and coming through the screen. Well, we've got another bad one here. We've got a bear that just decides to rip in somebody's front door and roll in like he owns the place. And look at him as he comes in here. He turns his head around looking for his luscious loot. He's like a true villain needing to size up the great treasures that are before him. And while this seems bad, and trust me, I get that it seems bad to have a bear come in. You know, actually, we have break-ins in our houses all the time, and the worst of which is, of course, the news. This is a far worse break-in that comes into all of us where people come, they sit on our televisions, we turn them on, coming to tell us all sorts of dubious things. They want to keep our eyes from certain topics and only see the world the way they want us to see. Now, this really is a serious, serious thing to talk about, especially in our world right now. Um... I always find it fascinating that news media outlets, they always come along telling you, like, we're number one trusted <laughs> news. Like, nowhere else in society would we find this, you know, palatable. If if somebody comes to you as a teenager and says, you know, I'm the going to be the best husband ever to like a girl and say, go ahead and date me. Would that go over well, Amanda? Would you be? No. He would yeah. be dumped very quickly. Yeah. Generally, if someone comes and tells you we're number one, trust me, you know, don't. But for some reason, the news media gets away with this. And you know this is really a big problem because right now you're going to find far more news segments on coronavirus and masks and stuff like that than about the very vicious evil that's being committed against children all around the world. There's been a whole lot of evidence come out regarding Ghislaine Maxwell, the whole Jeffrey Epstein worldwide, you know, not just pedophilia, but some really vile stuff. Nobody really talks about that much, and it's sad. Um, thoughts on that? I think uh, I was uh, referring to the the movie elf where there there is a sign in the window that says world's best coffee and he goes in and like wow you did it you know I'm so you know congratulations we get a little bit i think told so many times that this is best or this is listen to this this is the truth and 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 we're just numbed by it mm. yeah. i think at some point in time but i, I think that that uh that movie elf where he comes in and and <laughs> you know makes the big deal about the world's best coffee is yeah. is very much a real look at some of the things we've been told yeah it absolutely is well are we ready to get on to our main com whole commentary here yeah all right well y'all we'll be back here in a second to talk about what we believe and what we really believe we're going to be looking at a secret society and how it has set the standard for some really diabolical stuff in the world so we'll be back here in a moment to discuss all of that and more so thank you for joining us Alrighty. Well, over the last 300 years, there has been a group of conspirators that formed a secret society. And I should phrase that better. Over 300 years ago, there was a group of conspirators that came together to form a secret society. Now, as we get into this, I want you to see if you can figure out who it is. Because I'm not going to tell you on the front end what group this is, but we'll eventually get there. So, 300 years ago, roughly, a group of conspirators, they formed a secret society that was bent on redefining civilization around the world. Now, their plan was not to simply change a governmental structure here or there, but instead to redefine how all people thought of themselves and others. Their mission was to totally reinvent humanity. And I don't want to give you the name of this secret society yet because I want you to hold your breath before you kind of make any judgments about this whole conversation because it can sound really conspiratorial and you just want to throw it out the window. But I think if you listen to what this group actually believed, the things they taught, 
you will find out this is something which has actually had a tremendous impact on the world. And it wasn't simply because of the group themselves or their members, but because of the template that they designed. When you look now at history, you might find someone like Rene Descartes, who is often attributed for authoring the scientific method as we use it today, and a lot of people follow his standard. Well, this group, they set together a standard on how certain be beliefs and certain things would be advanced. Just sort of like in our modern day and age, the modern game of football is largely unchanged. There was someone who kind of came together and over a time period this became officially known. The same thing with like baseball and other things that we do. When you look throughout trends in the world, there are standards that certain things follow. And for a particular set of beliefs, they follow this trend that was established by this secret society. And so you may ask the question, all right, preacher, you've talked a lot about these beliefs, but what is it? Show me the there that is there. Well, this group, they stated their goal as making men free and happy. That was their officially stated quoted goal. But the true beliefs they have can be surmised as these two things. One, seeing people as basically good and utopia as the goal of the world. And before we jump into some of the ways that they wanted to implement that, Without revealing, based on those two statements, you know, they want to make men free and happy, and they want you to see that other people are basically good and utopia is the goal of the world, can you guess what group that is? Have you figured that out yet? And even those in the studio, without giving away, because they know because we did show prep, would you guess what group that is just based on that piece of information? Amanda? Dad? Um, I think also the time having the time period being 300 years ago helps a lot. In giving it uh but the the mantra of being free and happy in utopia is a little uh vague there's a lot of different uh organizations sure. that proclaim that but the, specifically though the word utopia if you're familiar with kind of that time period 300 years ago gives you a pretty good yeah glimpse into mm -hmm. it okay well let's get into what their goals were for society and i'm going to tell you the name of this and the reason why i'm holding off on the name is because it is shocking to actually see their real beliefs so firstly, they wanted to change the perception that people were basically bad to a new perception that people were basically good. And they, they realized that this is actually impossible to do because the only way you can do it is to manipulate and coerce and to keep people from truth. You have to have total control over information in order to do this. However, they thought that if their utopian vision where they rule this elites would be able to be implemented, you would have to get people convinced that they're basically good. And this is actually something which has largely happened. Throughout human history, whether you look throughout Christianity or even look at something like ancient Rome, they had this idea that the flesh is bad, it's somehow corrupt. Even the ancient Egyptians had some version of this. And you can even look to Eastern philosophy and religion and see this. There was this general trend throughout the world, whether it be something well articulated like the fall in Judaism or something like that. There was this understanding that human nature is sinful and bad. But these people, they wanted to reimagine the world and they wanted to manipulate people by doing away with that, that teaching them that everyone is basically good. So that's one of the first things that they wanted to do. Second, they wanted to have a global revolution that would dissolve power of all local and national governments and replace them with a universal republic. Now, one of the reasons behind this is they realized that the smaller government is and the more local it is, the easier it is to hold accountable. Even if you're under a monarch situation where you've got a king or a queen, you can still generally hold that accountable if it's fairly small. But the bigger it is, the less likely it is that you will hold it accountable. And they said, well, let's have it global. Let's have everything where the trade, everything is international, everything is global, and therefore you can't hold anything accountable. And that rolls into the next thing that they wanted. They wanted to ensure that the elites rolling this 
would, or ruling this, would be considered infallible by the masses. In other words, if you're one of the members of the people that is leading throughout this new design, this new one world order, you would be considered infallible. And we'll get into those more details. But as far as their beliefs, they wanted to liberate all people from their strengths of social, moral, and religious activity. And what's interesting about their desire to liberate people from these restraints is they juxtaposed the restraints of social, moral, and religious authority with equality. This is the way that they, they phrased all of this stuff. They said individual restraint will be replaced by absolute equality, and particularly through the language of what they called social fraternity, that people would have some societal impulse where they, they felt more akin to the collective than to their individual restraint. And it's kind of an interesting notion, but... Again, we're just kind of recapping their beliefs, and we're almost done with them. They wanted to replace Christianity with atheism for the masses. And they were intent on destroying all religions of the world, but they particularly saw Christianity as a problem that was a primary enemy. And that was because of Christianity's connection to absolute truth and also its willingness to adopt and kind of embrace some of the Roman philosophies such as Aristotle, Plato, the Christian writers that were very much interested in that. And because of that, this group said, no, Christianity must go. However, while they wanted atheism for the masses, they wanted for the enlightened elite, they wanted that group of people to have pantheism. And I'm not going to go into in-depth what pantheism fully um, entails, but for now, just imagine that they wanted the, the elites in society to have some sort of cultic connection where they would have some sort of religious faith that had rituals and sacraments of that nature, but it would be not anything... Um, well, it would be pretty vile, put it that way. And another thing that they wanted, and this is their language, was communism for goods of the masses, or communism of goods for the masses. And this is fascinating because it comes long before Marx, long before Soviet Russia, long before the modern um, things we think of when we hear the word communism. This predates all of that, but that was what they wanted for the masses. But for those who were in the elite status, those who were the enlightened, they would have access to a lot of other things. They would have a different moral code, a different um they would have a different ethic that they lived by, the whole different ethos. And as stated before, they needed to be viewed as infallible by the masses. And this is something which has largely happened where we see people, they say, oh, well, they're somebody who's peer-reviewed. They're part of the intelligentsia class, which is really what they was their enlightenment class. They were viewed as infallible. So let's reveal what group this is. And I may let someone else here in the studio. Do we know what group this is? Absolutely. Who is it? I would say it's the Illuminati. It's the Illuminati, Amanda. You yeah. With it? Yeah. Yeah. This is what the Illuminati actually believed. I know we we kind of use the Illuminati as sort of a catch-all for <laughs> conspiracies and stuff like that. Well, there there really were real versions of the Illuminati. I mean, this first form of it, I think, only lasted for ten years. Hmm. But nonetheless, this is what they believed. I mean, they're highly influential, and as we'll get into their history more here in the coming uh, moments here in this program. They did have a huge impact. Any other thoughts on this, just as you read through their beliefs? I was kind of shocked as, as learning what they believed and what they asserted. Well, I think they were definitely a product of their time, but not only a product of their time, but they knew how to capitalize yes. on the thoughts of their time. Because we hear a lot of the language. I mean, just thinking the seventeen late 1700s, you've got the American Revolution, you've got the French Revolution. Yep. Um, you're kind of towards the end, I think, of the Enlightenment. So things like the Reformation happened 150 almost. 200 years before this but um 
you know, we have all these things that are going on that's moving people to kind of this critical thought, this idea of equity and, and freedom. And so they, they're definitely taking this language that's being used in their culture of that day and not just in their specific culture in their specific country, but around the world as the world is dealing with expanding and globalizing and things like that. Uh, the world's getting bigger and smaller all at the same time. And so they're they're yeah. really quite... I don't want to say ingenious because that gives them maybe a little bit more credit than they deserve, but they can look at their culture and say, how can we then manipulate this, twist it, use it yeah. to our end? And specifically, I see that in, in your third point about they liberate people by taking away individual restraint and saying they're replacing it with equality, which maybe I don't understand these words correctly, because if you're taking away if I'm assuming what we mean by individual strain is that idea of liberty, but your liberty ends and begins with when it hurts someone else. Well, really. So if you take that away, how can you have equality? Well, first of all, this was <laughs> never really meant. It was meant to control people and manipulate people. Right. So you kind of got to take that with a grain of salt. But one of the things that they thought was is that equality will be by the lowest common denominator. And this is really connected with sin, the whole idea of religious and moral restraints. And we'll get to this in their methodology here in a moment, but their mentality was you tell people that what you previously were taught was sin was not sin. You have that natural desire and you get some sex cults and weird stuff that comes out with this. But they told people your natural desires, they are good. Live into them. You're all equal. You don't need to, to have any um, accountability to one another. You don't need to have any accountability to God or to mm. a religious structure. It was this really reduction of people that says you're all equal in your sin and that's actually a good thing you can all just live out whatever you want live into whatever desire you have whatever impulse you have and therefore you'll all be equal because none of you can be judged there'll be none who are more beautiful than others none who have more achievement than others it's an equality by the lowest common denominator that gives people a mentality that says you're taught to live into your sin. Does that help clarify yeah, that Yeah that bit? does help make it a little bit more sense but it also reveals how I guess short-sighted or not even short-sighted but just how dangerous that train of thought is because oh, yeah, again yeah. i think in our modern age with everything that's going on we we like this word equality and equity and things like that and so just hearing this on kind of face value we're like oh that sounds like a good thing but what we see in this organization specifically they don't want equality so that all men are created equal they want equality so that basically they can then abuse all people it, yes and so that's 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 something that um, I was it's trying, quite fascinating yeah. about this group. Yeah, I was trying to capture that when I made that little meme about the, the robbers, just the, yeah. the news. Um, when, yeah, it really was this idea that says we can make you all equal so we can all control you. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that, Pastor Mark? You know, I do. I think uh, it's kind of like if you're needing soap, and I'm going back to the first segment here, you need soap and all of a sudden you find that it's cake. It's not that cake is bad. <laughs> but you, that's not what you need. And so I think even in the words and the terminology that they use, it's very much a a, a uh, element of manipulation here oh, sure. that's taking place. Sure. But, you know, for the first part, to say, well, we are created in the image of God, but we also have that fallen nature that that is part of us as well. Yeah. And to say that, you know there is you know that people ha are inherently good as opposed to saying there is that bad element you automatically don't need a savior yes 
And so it is at odds with Christianity oh, yes. from that point yep. forward. Yep. Even though there are some terminology and words here that I believe manipulate, but on the surface, on the on the shallow surface, it doesn't sound too bad. Yeah. But these are well-educated, well-read in philosophy people yep. who came up with these ideas, and they learned to not only use portions of the Bible to... Um, you know, advance their their endeavors, uh, but they 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 had some wording that was very attractive. I would say yeah. to a lot of people, sure. and really, it's when you first hear it today, it's attractive. Yeah. Here, you know, you want equality, you want equal, but then when you look a little deeper and realize, well, all of a sudden they are not held to the same accountability oh, as no. everyone else, and no. there is not equality. No. Uh, as what I would think in in my heart and in my mind. Yeah, and one of the things that happens with this is you say, okay, they're the Illuminati, um, great, but there is something to this why we should take some time studying this. And as Amanda pointed out, what they were teaching and what they were saying back then wasn't really unique. You found a lot of other movements going on. They really did come out of the Enlightenment period that you have going on throughout really Europe and even over towards America. But one of the things that oftentimes we don't realize is while the Enlightenment movement was happening, there was a parallel transition and parallel interest in the world, not just with objective truth and reason, which the Enlightenment is very much interested in, pursuing objective truth, reason, and bringing that to everyday men and women so that their lives can be improved by it. But at the same time, there was a heavy interest in hidden truth. And so kind of Gnosis, you think Gnosticism, it's, again, it's old. But at this point in time, there was a very large interest in mysticism and the occult. And we have things in our modern world which are tied back to this interest, things like the Ouija board. You can look through history of people like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Harry Houdini who were famously uh, enemies of one another. And they may have had a real Sherlock Holmes, Moriarty, hatred for one another where some people think it was actually Conan Doyle who killed um, Harry Houdini. Um, a lot of interesting stuff on all that. Um, well, it, I think it really goes back to the spirit of the age of 300 years ago of everything that was happening all over the world. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things that I find that that is below the surface here is that one of the reasons I believe it's also at odds with Christianity is that Christ was humble. He, there was a, a tremendous amount of humility in the Son of God who became, um, you know, took on flesh and blood, took on cre the, the, the body and of the creature. Uh, he is the creator, but he is now taking on the, the creature. Very humble. And yeah. there is an, a very much a element among these uh, people who felt like they were... I think you used the word elite, but they had advanced, and there there was an arrogance there. Yeah, there's a huge that, amount of that arrogance says here. they are better. Yeah, um, very, than others. Yeah, some would even say progress. Very arrogant. Very arrogant. But, but well, nonetheless, that there is that arrogant level. Yeah. So let's get into their methodologies because this is very important. Um, to be honest, their beliefs really weren't that unique. However, what they did, and I said this earlier, they set a trend. They set a trend for how things like globalism and utopianism, they would be implemented into the world. 
they kind of put together a template for how globalism, uh, utopianism, they would interact with the world. Because rather than going out and fighting wars or something on those fronts, rather than doing something where you would have public debates like you would see going on with the Enlightenment and other things in the realm of science and reason, these people, they put together a methodology that said, let's instead subvert existing cultures. Rather than attacking people out in the open through debate or actual warfare, instead, let's take the slow path of changing what people believe. Not even so much what people intend to do in life, but what people believe at the core of their existence. And they said, we're going to do this because we're going to recruit experts who will place a huge value on being crusaders for our cause, which will be unseen, rather than they'll be working for the institutions they actually work for. So you might have a doctor in a hospital who's more interested in being a member of the Illuminati than somebody who wants to actually be a doctor. And the whole idea was you'll have people who will take over the institutions and our cause will be victorious in the end. And so from that, their methodology did not trust their power to any perishable institution, and they didn't mind if institutions perished. So they would use things like the church, they would use things like schools, and they were fine with that, and they would even use governments. But if those governments and things collapse, the church collapses, who cares because you're still going to get what you want in the end. You're not going to tie anything too fixed to what was there. Um, and again, they had a big priority on having people be crusaders for the cause, and when it came to how they would name things, a lot of times they would conceal their names, and sometimes they would actually conceal their names by giving themselves a title completely opposite of what they were doing, just to give it a name that says, well, we're called this, so how could we be anything but this? You know, we're called the, the doctors or whatever of the poor, so how could we be somebody who wants to manipulate or take advantage of the poor? They, they're kind of known for doing that. And they really did tap into that cultural shift where there were people looking for mysticism, the enlightenment was going on, and there were people who were looking for hidden knowledge, not just absolute knowledge. And they saw this as an opportunity that they could capitalize on in order to set things forwards. So they really did implement this whole mentality of subvert, get in, throw wrenches in the system, have people get into these, these sectors of society where they're considered elites. And we'll get into the notion of the intelligency here in a second. But before we get into the next methodology, Mike, did you have something you wanted to say I, on this? You know, I did, because I think there there is an element of them doing good, but there is a a tremendous, you know, once you get deep and, you know, beyond shallowness, we find that that is pretty much trying to control people's oh, yeah. thoughts of what yeah. they're going. They're playing God, and I call that idolatry. Oh, yeah. Whereas is... I'm a biblicalist or... I've been accused of being a Bible thumper, but I <laughs> like to hold true that for, to God's scriptures that we call the Bible, and I feel like that is where they are going above and beyond. And I will—I won't say they didn't use some of the scriptures, but they wouldn't—they refused to see them all. And uh, again, I—I I, I place this right into idolatry, and that doesn't mean everyone um, that that bought into this was an idolater. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying at the very top level, that's what we have going on. Well, I mean, I, this is idolatry. And I think if you've bought into being a member of the Illuminati and gone through the course, you're probably an idolater. I don't, I don't see how that's not the case, but I'll let you give them that grace if you want to. <laughs> well, I'm going to say that not everyone was at that same elite, elite area. That there were those who were Maybe. being manipulated oh, and didn't yeah, understand no, oh, sure, that. Sure, sure. Yeah, when you yeah, talked about the yeah. the uh, uh, you know using the the par parishioner not parishioners yeah. but the clergy and different yeah. ones well, and, and bringing there them there. Okay, I, I haven't got there in the methodology yet. So just 
Hold okay. on for a second. Did you have something, Amanda? I did. I know it might go long on this program. We all have comment on something. But you were talking about the kind of two parallel movements where you have the scientific method and enlightenment and then this 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 great fascination with mysticism. And, and I, I think uh, maybe I, I misunderstand something you said earlier in prep, but you, you kind of said that you were a little bit, sur not surprised, but you were intrigued by these two parallel mo movements. Yeah. And I think they make so much sense to be parallel in the sense like if you have this strong desire to look at the science and, and to know things, to know the universe or the depths of the ocean or to discover the land, you know, at this point in history, most lands are have, are beginning to be charted and there's very little left of the unknown world uh, versus maybe even a hundred years before this um, in the age of exploration. But now you have everything figured out. Now you're beginning the scientific method but you still don't know everything. So where do you turn? You turn to the mystics. Yeah, that's and, true. And, and I think what's so beautiful, and going back to something Pastor Mike said about understanding our Bible, is the Bible already answered this question. We see this in Ecclesiastes, where the teacher or the preacher, however that's translated as, um, or the professor, some, some translations even go as, but he says, you know, folly, folly, vanity, oh, vanity. Please. You know, you want to go look into science, go look into science, but that's not going to give you all your answers. You want to go sure. into mysticism, go into mysticism, but that even won't give you all your answers. And it's just this wonderful thing that um, one of our, a very ancient book written by, um, written through Judaism and faith, which actually some people believe is more akin to Western or Eastern religions than even Western thought, um, has already answered this question in, all, yeah. in this debate. And I just find it very fascinating. And that may, I'm going off on a tangent, but I just wanted to bring that up because I, I think there's something just so uh, beautiful about the human nature that is continually trying to find answers. And we try to find them. And I think science and mysticism seem to be those two. Um, and also the word mysticism can mean different things depending on what context you're talking about. But it, we normally hear this debate, science versus religion and knowledge versus hidden knowledge. And, and sometimes we try to create this false dichotomy and gosh is like, I got it all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is interesting. I, yeah, you bring that up. It, there is a sense of ambition that says this is a realm which we kind of have to tap into if we're going to consider that, uh, continue doing any exploration. Well, let's continue on looking at some of their more methodologies. Because really, you got to keep in mind, this is 1700s. And in fact, they were inaugurated the first full order of the Illuminati was, I think, May 1st, 1776. So actually the mm. same year. You look at the, the American history there, 1776, and it comes out of Bavaria, Germany. So if you've got a BMW, the B in that, Bavarian <laughs> Motor Works, um, Bayerische, yeah, that's the same place where the Illuminati comes from, of course. But what you find happening here is they had new tools at at work in the world. You had things like the printing press and you had libraries, which had a lot more books than something in the ancient world. And they took a high interest in all this because they saw that there was great power in controlling what people saw. They weren't so much interested in controlling events that happened directly, though they, they certainly wanted that down the road, but they took a long-term strategy to it as opposed to an immediate strategy. And by that, I mean, they wanted to control something which we now call the Overton window. Just like Earlier when I had the meme up about the news, you know, look at the topics and not the ones we ignore. Look at the topics we, we have. Um, the Illuminati, they very much wanted to control libraries in the sense of what do people have access access to. 
they didn't want people to be thinking for themselves. Now, they weren't going to go out there and erase history or something like that. They didn't necessarily have that level of ambition. But they did say, if we talk about this, whether it be in a positive light or negative light, as long as we get people looking at it, that's where the culture will go. The culture will go with in the direction of whatever it's looking at, whatever it's talking at. And that's a lesson we need to learn today because a lot of times people think you, you defeat things by perpetually talking about them. That's actually not true. Um, sometimes taking the Overton window away from stuff is how you defeat it. But they decided, you know, we need to control what people are looking at because that will shape the options they consider and things of that nature. So another thing that happened is they had this big interest in propaganda. They wanted to put out propaganda. They wanted to, to really take over the world through that arm. And that they, this is the first time in history you can really do that because you've got the printing press. Before you have the printing press, you know, you're not going to be making a lot of posters in ancient Rome, especially if a lot of people can't read. But here you, you can really take that and have some power with it. So the next big thing they had in their methodology was an interest in something called the intelligentsia. Now, this is a word that we don't often have in modern English, but it is nonetheless an English word. And it really refers to the intellectual class or people who think they're in the intellectual class. So perhaps a professor, a school teacher, clergy would kind of fit in there. Somebody who's in the news media would fit in there. Um, somebody who's an expert, a doctor, something like that. The intelligentsia. This is really that group of people. Scientists. Yeah, scientists, someone like that. And they wanted to infect the intelligentsia and they wanted to recruit members of the intelligentsia. And they said, if we can win over, and this is a direct quote from the guy who founded the Illuminati, says, if we can win over the clergy, they will sincerely believe that what they see in our organization is the true and genuine sense of Christian religion. And what he means by this is clergy, they're going to be allowed to teach in the church. Even though they hate Christianity and they hate the gospel, they wanted people teaching in the churches, people who had faith in the Illuminati's vision of the world and values, not faith in real Christianity. And of interesting truth is they wanted clergy who would do this without realizing they were doing this. And I know this sounds like brainwashing manipulation, but the Illuminati really is behind a lot of those like legends and myths and stuff. I mean, there, there's actually some light at the end of this tunnel. Um, now, I'm not sure that it was the conspiratorial arm that some people might think it is. I mean, I guess it's possible. But the idea that you would have people moved by an impulse that's not the Christian impulse, but it's the Illuminati's impulse, even though you think it's a Christian impulse. I know it gets all weedy really quick, but it's just interesting to read their, their quotes and what they really intended on doing. So the last thing I want us to talk about in their methodologies is they wanted to shape the world by changing the deeply rooted beliefs of all people. So that people would go along with the Illuminati agenda without realizing they were being manipulated. Now, their beliefs can be surmised as seeing people as basically good and utopia is a possible goal for the world. And of course, biblically, we know that there's not going to be utopia until Christ returns. I mean, people might have different mentalities on that, premillennialism, postmillennialism, all that stuff, amillennialism. But in truth, Christ must return in order for there to, to truly achieve that. But they didn't want that to be the mentality. They wanted people to pursue utopia. And they realized that a lot of people were interested in these warm, fuzzy ideas, so they would sell it to people on that, even though they would never really give people the hidden knowledge, but they would kind of use that as a feeler to, to attract people. But some other interesting things, this is where we're wrapping up this whole conversation, is they, this is a quote here, the guy that founded them said he wanted to make women a chief study. And by this, they wanted to emancipate women, and by giving and by being the ones who gave women entrance into the public sphere, into the intelligentsia realm, they would insinuate ourselves into their good opinion and shape what the women believe to have women work for us without even knowing they are doing so. 
And he goes on to say, there's no means of influencing men so powerfully as by means of women. So this whole idea of says, we will put women in the intelligentsia class. We will bring them in here. And because we were the ones who gave them this access, they will have a good opinion of us and they will do whatever we want. Um, they'll believe what we want them to believe. So we have that. Um, I don't know. We had a lot of commentary on this earlier. <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be any more right now or not. I, I just, I mean, this is the the whole cleverness, I guess, of their whole plot is to try to manipulate people secretly. Um, you, we see this. They talked about the same way they're going to use the clergy. Uh, they're really using the working class the same way, yep. trying to build up. So I, I'm not trying to be personally insulted just because they're picking on women in this particular paragraph when they've been picking on everyone else in the other paragraphs but it, it is it's just it takes such a level of arrogance to think oh, that yeah. you can come into a people group yeah. and then completely blindside them and, and i'm sure they were able to manipulate some people yeah. but obviously they weren't able to manipulate a whole people yeah group. well this this is something which is evil and you know it, this is a very effective methodology of manipulating people. You know, I'll give you this, you mm -hmm. know, and it's, it is very effective to say, well, we gave you access, therefore you've got to do what we want you to do. I mean, that, that's something which really does happen. And just wrapping this up, they did want to win people in every corner, including common people. And this would be a, a chiefly obtained through the means of schools, which again, in the 1770s, I'm not sure exactly what that refers to because they don't have modern school systems, um, but also through open, hearty behavior. And finally, in their methodologies, it said, by the toleration of their prejudices, we will root out people's beliefs. So there was this idea that says, we will tell you your sin is not sin, and then we will unhinge you to the point where you have no morality at all. So those are the beliefs of the Illuminati. Um, throwing all that out there, any other thoughts as we wrap up this conversation? Well, you know, I think this is a, a, a pretty deep conversation. And, and I, I think when you just hear this in, in a short context like we're trying to, to do here with Kingdom of Logos, I think it, it's a little bit confusing. But it, it's not bad that they wanted to elevate women. What is bad is the motive behind that. Yeah. Uh, the, the you know there was some good things being done by elevating and and giving you know uh, bringing them into a place of listening and hearing and bringing their input um, to these uh, you know intellectual circles and having them be part of the education and everything because you've got to realize we're we're talking about three hundred years ago and so there was some good things done but the what is wrong is the motive is to manipulate yeah. them to say. Look what we've done for you. You now will believe. And it's not like they're telling them what to believe, but they're also saying, oh, this was good. So now is this good that yeah. we're presenting? Yeah, and that's, that's and really, so it's kind of a really sneakiness yeah. because it's very easy not to understand that you're being manipulated or very, very hard to believe that you're being manipulated yeah. when you see the goodness and things in your heart that you <laughs> say, this is right. And especially when it lines up with yep. some of the Christian uh, teachings, we see Jesus. Yeah, Jesus and, elevating yeah. Uh, women. But he's not doing it to manipulate them. He's doing it because it's it's right. Yeah. Amen? And, I'm, and, I'm ready to preach now. Yeah, and their chief thing they had to do first was to get you to believe that people are basically good. Because if you realize people are basically sinful, then you realize, well, hey, they might be trying to manipulate him. Why are they coming here to give me what I want? But they wanted you to believe that people are basically good. And actually, a lot of anguish of 
egalitarianism, altruism is heavily found in the Illuminati language because they realize that's a great means of manipulation because it sounds good, mm -hmm. but you can only get people to be manipulated by the altruistic egalitarian mindset if you believe people are basically good then you're not going to question them but if you are suspicious then you can you can go along with it hmm. and so all right well we'll wrap that up we ready to go oh gosh we went really long on that one well <laughs> you know I, I i think we could probably discuss this for hours but you know i think you know when we look at the, sci the scientific um, studies they're great people learning education um, you know, bringing equal, all of these things are good. But when it comes to a manipulation, it is it is very evil. And when we say that they're, you know, your sin is is you know that you're not you're you're inherently good. There's obviously no need for a savior. No. But all of a sudden, I think it puts you right back into the Garden of Eden, where it isn't that wisdom is bad. The knowledge of good and evil from the tree is 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 getting knowledge and and wisdom somewhere other than God. Yeah. And that you're they're saying basically you're going to get your knowledge and wisdom from us. Sure. And and it's not even the science and the and the um, you know all the, the Yeah, it, it really wasn't that intelligences. Yeah, the intelligentsia. Yeah. Well, another thing they had is they wanted you to view the intelligentsia as infallible, which is something which has largely happened in our day and age where the the priesthood would no longer be considered infallible, but instead the scientists, the ones who wore the white cloaks the white, you know, I've um, got my lab coat on. That would be the ones you would, you would consider. They're completely free of sin. You know, you're sanctified by the fact that you are an expert somewhere. They wanted people to have that mentality. Yeah. There's a pretty big element of entitlement here, too, among the elite. And, uh, yeah, it is. I mean, this yep. is a this is a conversation that we're doing in a – really, it's hard to do justice to it in, in, uh, in its totality. We just have yeah. to really briefly discuss it. But it is a very interesting subject. Oh, yeah, it is. Well, we'll be back here in a moment for a completely unrelated topic. Well, hopefully. We'll see. All right, so we're going to be talking about the Gospel according to St. Mark, Chapter 9. And recently I got a text message from someone regarding Mark 9, and they had a very interesting question. I thought it was a really insightful question. I wanted to share it with everyone, both online and here, um, Amanda and Mike. So the question I got was this. I had a question regarding Mark 9. I think Mark 9, 29, when Jesus says, this kind only comes out through prayer, may refer to the Father's petition in Mark 9, 24, when he says, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe it was not Jesus who excommunicated the demon by prayer, but the boy's father who prayed to Jesus, and perhaps the disciples did not do so when they tried to heal the boy. I thought this was interesting. What do you think? So that's the text message I got. And in case you're, you're from, um, wondering what this exact story is, I've got this scripture here. And would one of us, others in the studio, like to read this? Amanda, would you like yeah, to read this? Yeah, I can this? read it. All right, so let's uh, hear the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 17. Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. 
Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you are able, all things can be done for those who believe. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. Alrighty. So, in verse 25 there, you do see a moment where Jesus actually rebukes the demon. So, Jesus clearly does that rebuking, but as far to the assertion that the the boy's father in making the prayer that he really has this pivotal act. Uh, certainly Jesus affirms the man's belief. You can definitely see that Jesus is the one rebuking, but the man did have the right set of eyes and the man is pursuing the right options. You know, we've said all throughout our program today, our beliefs shape our choices. And this man, he certainly has sufficient belief. And Jesus' response to the man is with the faithfulness of God and the child is healed. So I'm not going to say anything else about this. I'm just going to turn it over to, to the other <laughs> few pastors here and let them share their thoughts on this matter. I don't know who would like to respond first. Well, you know, I think uh, in verse 23, when, when Jesus says to him, if you are able, depending on what uh, context you want to place this in, is this a statement? Is it a question? Our oldest and best manuscripts are, are, are absent of like, you know, uh, question marks or things of that nature. So, you know, this, this is... A, a very good place for us, you know, I think you'll look at your translations and you'll see people actually preaching whether they put a question mark or an exclamation point there. And, and you know, if you are able is also that are you able, do you have the power? Um, and so this power um, obviously is, is about being, you know, possession do you have the power to do this do you have the power or not i think jesus is 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 somewhat saying here if if you are able in other words you ask me if i am able to help us and and he says you know obviously he is but what what he does all things can be done for the one who believes and we are called to be the image of God and Jesus is the image of God because he is fully God but he's also fully human and I think often we are called not only to Christ like but to do the things that Christ did um, and that that's a powerful so I, you know I I am I am comfortable stating that it is the power of Jesus that that this did, but he said Jesus is telling us that the faith, our faith, our trusting in Him, our loyalty, and being transformed into Christ likeness, allows us to do the things Christ does. Okay, yeah. that image of God. Yeah, yeah, and I think this is a great question. Um, the person who sent this, obviously, they're reading the scripture deeply and they're trying to understand exactly what's going on versus just kind of taking it at face value because it's kind of like the Sunday school answer how how do we, how are things done you know how do how are demons cast out or how do we move mountains well Jesus and then but the person who's reading this says okay well we know that we know it starts with Jesus but how then what is our part to play in the story and we see then the the father's faith comes into it like what pastor Mike was saying and I, I really appreciate that the person who sent this question was looking into the scripture with that kind of mindset 
because all too often we can just kind of breeze through our scripture reading. You know, we're like, oh, we did our devotional for the day. Let's move on to the next thing and not realize that scripture calls us to action. And we see like the, the, the father's faith. Um, and we see, hear this in a lot of other healing stories. You know, it's the faith of the friends that lowered the, the paralytic through the ceiling, uh, that, uh, Jesus says it's because of their faith that this man is healed. Um, often Jesus asks people before he heals them, do you believe? Um, and it's not that their faith as in their cognitive ability to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but it is their faithfulness and trust in God's faithfulness that heals them. And mm-hmm. so it is, it, it's, it's, it is a beautiful reminder as we look into the scripture and as we look into other scriptures, um, the healing that Jesus offers, the gift Jesus offers, can only be received if we are willing to receive it. Receive it. And so, um, the yeah, I think this question is basically asking, what is the Father's part in all of this? And we find he does have a very vital part. Although the healing does not originate in him, uh, it happens because of him. Yeah, and I think it, it really is an insightful question. Jesus certainly affirms the man's belief. So we'll wrap up our program there. Any final thoughts before we, we wrap up our, our program today? Anything on the world at all? I know there's all sorts <laughs> of topics that come and run through our minds to rummage and pillage and plunder our, our, <laughs> our day. But any, any, yes, any other thoughts? Oh, I don't know. Though This week has been, been crazy, but it's been good crazy. And so I, I think uh, our church is preparing for a wedding today, for a wedding that's happening tomorrow. And it's a good reminder that even in the chaos of life, uh, life is still happening. Yeah. I mean, that's a great thing to know. Amen. Mike? Well, you know, I, th- I think, you know, especially with today's, uh, you know, podcast and all the things that we've been there, I think it's just a, a great time to to uh, be aware of everything happening because I think the foundation for some of these things that we talked about are happening today all around us. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I, I love uh, the fact that, you know, uh, the church is still having uh, weddings. Many churches are, are gathering. They're having, uh, you know, celebrating the sacraments. And uh, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing to focus on God in the midst of uh, a world that is trying to be destructive and full of chaos. And my final thought was I wanted to set up at the beginning of this a joke that at the end of today's program, we would find out which one of us three was actually an elaborate <laughs> cake. But then I realized that could be interpreted to be rather violent, that one of us is going to get chopped up, which <laughs> is not happening, hopefully. Hopefully um, not. Yeah, hopefully not happening. So you never know what might actually be an elaborate cake in life. So we'll, <laughs> we'll leave that there. You never know what might be an elaborate cake that someone has baked. And y'all do with that whatever you want. So on that, let's wrap up. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together as we close. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And with that, God love you and have a blessed day.